it's hard to come after Coop. It, it always is. I mean, just he was my he's still my pastor, but he was my pastor for I don't know ten years, and uh, just love love listening to him and just just preach. And uh, he's been a great mentor in my life. So thank you. Um, today, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, my baseball career, the survival of my major league career consisted of, of the coaches above me, the contemporaries beside me, and even the call-ups to replace me. Each one had a unique role in the development of my baseball career, and I'm going to talk about where to find out that they were needed not only in my baseball career, but my spiritual development as well. And as Coop was talking about, uh, I have an awesome best wife ever. We've been married 24 years. She's from Canada. We have three boys, 21, 19, and, and 17. I'm a local boy. I went to Lake Howell High School. Got drafted at the age of 17 uh, by the Cincinnati Reds to start my minor league career. Spent five and a half years in the minors. Made the big leagues when I was 22 years old. Um, spent 11 years in the major leagues till I was, till I was 32. And I had to quit, not because uh, my skills were gone, I like to say because my back went out. I've had four back surgeries, four knee surgeries, and a wrist, and just the body still keeps kind of breaking down. But uh, I keep I keep going. Um, but uh, you know, I loved it, and so now I work for the ministry Pro Athletes Outreach. It's a, it's a great ministry. We uh, minister to professional ball players. We put on great conferences in the off season for NFL football players, and my wife and I are the ambassadors to baseball. And, and so we, what we do, we bring in the best speakers in the nation to teach the Bible, guys like Matt Chandler, Francis Chan, and others, and it's, it's a great place. So I'm privileged to do that, and I'm excited to be here today where you guys are. You know, just a quick testimony of uh, my life. Yeah, I came to Christ through this conference. I didn't want to go. Um, it, when it, was, it came to Orlando, and my wife said, hey, did you sign us up for this conference? I said, we, you know, I, I don't argue that much. I was the first time I said, we ain't going to that Christian thing. And so she said, oh, no, we're not. We're going. So I figured, you know what, I'll sit in the back row for four days and get this out, go back and do what I want to do with the guys. And uh, quick story, the, the main speaker the first night just shared the gospel. He just talked about, you know, in the first page of the Bible, he just talked about the beginning, how, how God created us in his own image. And I didn't read the Bible, but I knew that was like on the first page somewhere. And uh, um, But he was saying that, you know, what I was doing in my life. I was molding God who I, who, a God who I thought he should be instead of what he already is. I realized, you know what? I want a God to change for me. I realized I had to change for God. So that was a quick story. I, I didn't know any, I didn't go to church, but I knew the stats about Jesus a little bit. I knew the Christmas thing, and I liked that. And I, I knew about the Easter stuff. And, and I knew a little bit here and there, but I didn't know him personally. So that, that was a quick testimony. But what I want to share with you guys today I want to share a little bit about these coaches, these contemporaries that I played with and, and the call-ups and, and talk, give you some baseball, but apply it to our lives. You know, coaches, now these are the men above you who usually have gone through the battle already, and they're there to instruct, to inspire, to mentor, to help you succeed on and off the field. And usually the good ones the good ones see this as a calling, not just something to do for a career. I saw that in my baseball life. I've had many, many coaches in my career. And some of the best ones who've coached me never made it to the big leagues. Some of the best coaches I had were in the minor leagues and just never saw the light of the big leagues, but they were an integral part of my baseball career. I've had coaches who believed in me. 
Uh, I played for a guy named Jack McKeon in, in, in the late 90s with the Reds. And uh, before Jack McKeon came to the Reds in 1998, I was uh, platooning, which means I was playing part-time with other catchers. Uh, we had a guy named Benito Santiago, who was Rookie of the Year in the 80s. And, you know, he came to the Reds. And so we were playing part-time with him. And a local boy, Joe Oliver, came and played back for the Reds. And we were playing part-time. Since I was a left-handed hitting catcher, those guys are right-handed. So depending who was pitching that day, we both would play. Uh, and so I was like, man, all those years I put up on big numbers and just playing part-time. I said, man, I, I wish I could play all the time and see what I could do. And Jack McKeon was that manager. When he came in, he's more the old school guy. He just he came in, fought for me, said, you know what, let's let Eddie play. And, and that was pretty amazing. The first year I got the chance to play every day in the big leagues. The first six years I platooned playing part-time. I found myself in 1998, after two months of the season, the first two months of the season, I was leading the National League in hitting. And then I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Uh, because that was something I, I haven't done before. And, you know, I have clippings at home. It says Eddie Tobinsey, 370, uh, Tony Gwynn, John Olerud. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And they're talking about me being an all-star and things like that. So I'm like, and I got nervous and I went back down to like 280. So, um, <laughs> Uh, but the point is, he believed in me. I had a great season. Even I backed it up the next year having a bigger season. So it, it was great to have a, a coach to believe in me. I also had a coach help me in my marriage. There was a gentleman named Dave Engel in the minor leagues. In 1992, talking about the Astros, I like to think, you know, I helped him win the World Series. I mean, I, you know, kind of how it worked out. I was traded to the Astros in 1992 um, because they were moving some, some catcher you know, named Craig Biggio, but from behind the plate to second base. And they brought me in uh, to be that, to fill that void. And uh, so I like to think I was part of, the, of his uh, Hall of Fame career. And, uh, and so, that's, so that was nice. So, but Dave Ingle, I started off in the minor leagues. Oh, I started off in the big leagues in 92 with the Astros, but I was struggling the first month and a half. I, I was hitting about one, 160, was doing horrible. I was just waiting for the day for them to send, in, send me down. They sent me down to AAA. Long story short, went from Tucson to Edmonton, Alberta for, for a doubleheader. And, uh, you know, you would think as a young 22, 23-year-old, you're, man, I'm laser focused on the game. But, you know, what does a 23-year-old do who's single? I was like looking in the stands, like, and I noticed, wow, that's a pretty girl up there. And, 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 and I nudged the guy next to me and said, I'm going to marry that girl. And he was joking. I was like, he was like, well, do something about it. Well, I, was, I was nervous. Long story short, my third base coach during the seventh inning stretch of that game asked her out on a date for me. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't for that, I would, not be I would not be married her 24, 24 years later. And uh, that's a longer story, and it's a lot funnier so, than that. So, but I've also had, had coaches who didn't have really total faith in me. Um, there, there was one when I was with the Astros in 94, in spring training, uh, we, um, I was kind of struggling a little bit. I played two years with the Astros, doing okay, getting a little bit better every year. But the guy I was traded for was a guy named Kenny Lofton, and he was doing pretty good with the Indians when he got traded there. He was on fire and stealing all these bases, and they were like, Eddie, man, we were hoping you kind of, kind of match him. And uh, so what would happen is during spring training, there was another catcher who was really hitting really well. So I found myself the first part of the the season be kind of being the third catcher on the Astros and it was kind of tough and I found myself having this nightmare and it became a reality. We were in Miami playing the Marlins 
And I was getting up in the morning, getting ready to go take a shower, to go have lunch. I have a phone call. I said, Eddie, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm getting ready uh, to go have lunch and go to the ballpark. He said, well, we have a day game. And I said, oh, my gosh. And, uh, and so I threw my stuff in, went to the park, and, uh, and Terry Collins was our manager. I said, Terry, I'm so sorry. Uh, I've never been like this. I, I'll, you know, I'm always there at the park. I'm always doing the right thing. And he said, Eddie, you know, don't worry about it. We played that game, had a day off, went to Chicago, called me in the office. Eddie, we traded you to the, the Cincinnati Reds. So I got traded, and, he, and I asked him if that had anything to do with it, and he said no. But in the papers, they, they said, you know, they thought I was a bad seed at the time and uh, missed, missed uh, getting it to the park. But that was the best thing for me. And I also had a um, guy like Ray Knight was my manager. And uh, a lot of times there's a funny story where when I was playing for him, you know, he – there was times where he didn't have total faith in the players and his catchers as a whole. And there was, there was times where, you know, he didn't think I was calling a good enough game. So he decided he wanted to do uh, like the travel ball coaches do. We were playing the Colorado Rockies where they had uh, Dante Bichette, Andres Galarraga, you know, Ellis Burks, Larry Walker. And all these guys get hit 30 or more home runs. And he decided he wanted to call the game. So, uh, you know, I had to look over every pitch and he was giving signs of what to call. And, and, uh, and so after about the third or fourth inning, when he started giving up runs, you know, I look over and he's looking up in the sky. So I said, good. <laughs> so I said, I'll take over. And, and, uh, um, and so I've, the point is I've had coaches who believed in me. I had coaches who didn't have a lot of faith in me. But the point is, the main point is all those years I played with coaches and all these coaches had an imprint, imprint on me, whether in some way or another, either positive or negative. And, and so now, now we go to the contemporaries, the guys I played with. And if you talk to these guys, if you, if you hear them talk about interviews and talk about their past, I would say the same thing. The vast majority of the players, when asked what they miss most about being out of the game, usually they say, man, I miss the clubhouse more than the grind of the everyday on the field. Uh, because you are with these men more than your family for the, all those years, and you miss those day in and day in battles on the field you have. And also, to be honest, you miss the clubhouse banter. You miss the, the way you get the, the talk to each other, the, the, the good banter. I know you guys know what it's like to have that close friend to do that with. Uh, so I've had so many teammates over the years, and four of them so far are in the Hall of Fame. One is Craig Biggio, uh, Jeff Bagwell, Barry Larkin, Roberto Alomar, and probably many more to come. I played with Jim Tomey, CeCe Sabathia. Um, you know, those are probably guys that will probably get in the Hall of Fame also. I, I've been on teams that, that weren't very good in 91 when I was with the Indians for a couple months. Um, I played for, you remember the movie Major League? I played with, a, I, I wore that uniform and, and we played like that. We were 57 and 105 that year in 91. It wasn't very good. Also played on teams that had been in the playoffs uh, in the, with the Reds in 95. We lost to the Braves to go to the World Series. The, World, the Braves won the World Series in 95. They beat us to go to the World Series. But I, like talking about a coach not having faith, I hit 500 during the playoffs. So if, you know, if they would have played me more than two at-bats, maybe we, maybe, <laughs> maybe we would have gone a little farther. So, uh, <laughs> but some of the biggest memories are being part of a team trying to reach its goal. And in 1999, I was a part of that with the Reds. When Jack McKean believed in me, I was the everyday catcher of the Reds. You know, I caught 100, about 125, 130 games that year. And man, boy, I was tired sometimes. But Jack McKean, he's an old school guy. He's about 70 back then. And managing, he goes, Eddie, you're, you're a horse. You're, you can play every day. I was like, yes, sir. And even though I was tired, I'll do anything. And 
We won 96 games that year uh, with the Reds, and we were tied with the Mets uh, for the wild card. We had to play an extra season game, and Al Leiter pitched one of the best games of his career. He pitched like a three-hit shutout, beat us five to nothing, and man, I was, I was, was going to be so excited to be that guy. I was going to be the guy in the playoffs. I was going to be the catcher, and I had my best year ever, hitting over 300, driving in 87 runs, over 20 home runs, and I was like, man, I, I want a chance to, to do that, but it just quite didn't happen. But that was a huge, great memory, just being in battle day in and day out towards the end of the year, just fighting for something and reaching for that goal. And I've been out of the game for about 17 years now, and I still run into teammates, and really, when we talk about things, we just those memories come up. My wife doesn't understand. It's like, you forget what we talked about a week ago, but you can remember what pitch you hit 20 years ago off a certain guy. I'm like, well, babe, you know, that was a good pitch. You know, it was, you know, I I remember that. But then then we got these guys. Uh, We got got the call-ups, the future, the phenom, pup, rook, hey, you, or can't miss, and many more terms that we use for them and I uh, can't say right here. That they, they, these guys first show up in the major leagues. It, it could be a very intimidating thing, being, being a rookie, being a call-up. And you know, it's where you want to be, but it, it's something that every player has to go through in their career. And you just hope that the veterans above you want to pour into you and not, and not really push you aside. And, um, and so, I got called up in 1991 uh, with the Indians, and we played not in Jacobs Field, but it was called Municipal Stadium. They called it Mistake by the Lake, and it was just a huge stadium by the lake. And it was, we, I remember playing a doubleheader against the Brewers. There was 2,000 people in a, in, in a stadium that, that seated 70,000. And I remember when they called me up, they, they, I was excited. Man, I'm going to the big leagues, my locker and everything. My locker was in the, was in the snack room. And, and, and we, we, had, we had so many call-ups, they didn't have nowhere to put, put me. They put me right in the snack room, right next to the fridge. To me, I was like, well, that's good for me. And so I, I quickly earned a nickname Lunchbox uh, because, man, I was snacky. I was snacking all the time. You know, I was, I was getting all that free stuff up in the big leagues. Uh, but being a rookie is pretty cool. They're assigned to do a lot of things. I remember in 92, my first year, in the first full year in the big leagues, the Astros, I had to do a lot of things. I had to serve on the plane. You know, guys, you want some food, they want a drink, I got to go to serve. Uh, I had to, you know, I had to dress up a little bit sometimes on the plane. You know, wear some, you know, funky little shoes or they take your suit and you got to wear whatever they, they put in your locker. So it's, it's really fun. Uh, back then, it was, they, they took it to a different level. Now that with, with everything on social media and stuff we didn't have back then, they can't get away with a lot of the stuff that they did back then. But uh, the point is, being a rookie, veterans, they usually took a hold of one rookie to take care of them. And they really did. They have fun with them, but you take, care, you take hold of this young guy. You take him for meals every day. And I had a guy take me out every day. Whenever we went, he paid. You know, the veteran always paid. They take care of your meals. You know, also, your wardrobe. You know, once you get to the big leagues, in my life, you don't make a lot of money. You get called up. You got to dress a certain way. They may take you, go out and buy a good wardrobe for you, and, uh, and that's good, too. They teach you about the big league atmosphere, how to act like a big leaguer, how to talk to the media, you know, how to stay away from trouble, hopefully, and teaching you, teaching you about the game. Um, I even, for me, I, I did this too. When my, my last year playing 2001 with the Indians, uh, I took a hold of a rookie that got called up and let him live in my house for a month. This young outfielder came up, and uh, uh, I liked him a lot, and his name was Dave Roberts. 
And uh, Dave Roberts, if you don't know that name, he manages the Dodgers now. And uh, so he, they lost in the World Series. So uh, I, was, I had the, the, Dave, the, the future LA Dodgers manager living with me for a month. So, and that's what happens. You just never know who those guys are going to turn into. I want to share these, these three group guys. These, they are involved and impact my playing career, whether in a negative or a positive way. Each had a specific role in the development. I still draw on those moments today closely. And, and for guys, and I was thinking about this, how, how I, I apply this to us. For men of faith, you know, what we need, guys, we need, we need to have a coach. We need to have a coach in life who has been through some of those battles and can guide us through life's challenges in a Christ-centered way. We, we need that guy. We also need to surround ourselves, guys, with the men that are our contemporaries who, went to lot, who we want to live life with that we can encourage and have some fun with along the way. And that, that's huge. For me, if you're around me, I know, guys, I like, I like to have fun. I like to have fun. I like to joke around. And my wife still is like, leave the clubhouse in the clubhouse. I'm like, babe, you, you know, it's hard. It's hard. And, uh, um, and finally, we need to have that young man wanting to grow in their faith or someone you can pour into and share the gospel to them to bring them to a relationship with Christ. You need to find that person to pour into. And I try to be intentional to do that with young men and, and, and grown men. During my 11-year during my major league career, I played for three teams, was sent to the minors, got traded twice, seven different big league managers. And my wife said we've moved about 25 times uh, during, our, during our baseball career. And the point is, I want, to, I want you guys to think about these relationships that you have with men are going to change over time. They're not always going to be men that are going to be alive for, for a long period of time, and that's good. I have some men here who are, who are like that, but sometimes there's men in your life for a specific time and for a specific purpose. And, and the same for it goes for you pouring into others. My life can attest to this, and uh, this has been a great thing. I also have men... Like I said, it's been with me for the long haul, and it's been a huge walk with my walk with Christ. And I say this because this is biblical. And you might have heard this before, heard this teaching, but we see this with the Apostle Paul. He was that coach. He was that coach to that young Timothy, young Timothy and others. Um, he, Timothy was that young call-up, and, uh, and, and Paul was that coach. And when we see that great encourager of Barnabas who, who came as a contemporary in Paul's life. And if you read in the book of Acts, man, Barnabas stood up for Paul in a lot of areas where, you know, in, in, in front of people, just, hey, Paul's legit, man. He, he's the man. And, you know, he is what he says he is. So Barnabas is that great guy who came alongside him and, and, and uh, encouraged him. And so here's what we need. This is in Scripture. This is something, if you remember anything uh, today, we need to be doing three things. We need to look. We need to look for a Paul. We need to look for a Paul. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You need to find that, that guy. Uh, it doesn't have to be age-wise, older, and maturity level. I mean, in Christ above you, that you could follow. You could be with him. You need to find somebody like a Paul. You need to look for that Paul. You need to live with a Barnabas. You need to live with a Barnabas. Find, find those guys in your life you can live with. Uh, Hebrews 3.13 says... Encourage each other, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so you will not get caught in sin's deceitfulness. I need that, guys. I need those men in my life because when I find myself trying to do it on my own, isolate myself, I get in trouble. 
I need those guys in my life. And there's guys here who I poured into and talked about, me, dude, I'm struggling with this. Help me. Uh, I, don't have it, I don't have it all together. Finally, we need to leave what you have learned with a Timothy. You need to look for a Paul. You need to live with a Barnabas. You need to leave what you have learned with a Timothy. And that's from Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says, go. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I am with you always. Now, i got a couple minutes. I want to be really quick right here. Hope you guys can hear me still. Um, you know what? This is not easy to do. And, um, you know, and as you guys know, I was, I was a catcher. And I love, man, there's, there's nothing better than putting on the catching gear. I tell you what, to me, it, before Iron Man came out, I was like the original Iron Man, man. I was just, man, I, I put this stuff on, man, I, 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 felt, I felt good. I just felt like I could go out there and I, I could do anything. And, uh, man, it was like, I... I, I I kind of miss those days, and uh, I still put them on every now and then because I have a seventeen. Have a, have a, have a. Okay, easy guys. I have a seven. I have a seventeen-year-old, and uh, I got to catch him. It gets, it gets a little harder. But, uh, but he, he, listen. Ephesians six ten says. Paul says finally he goes. Be strong in the Lord. And in his money, strength. And you know what? I want to do that. It's, it's not easy. And it's hard. You know, it, it's kind of like this. You know, I got my gear. If you guys can see me, I hope you guys see me. You know, this, this is the last helmet I, this is not the catching gear I use, but this is the helmet I used my last year playing. You can see with the, with the uh, Indian's helmet. But uh, if I went out and played, guys, and uh, I got this on. Just think I got the helmet on. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm missing a shin guard. If I went out there and caught like this, you know, I could go out and catch for like an inning or two. But at some point, this ball is going to fi find that weakness, isn't it? At some point, man, I'm going to get nailed in the knee. It's not going to feel good. And, um, and, and that's not going to be good at all. So, you know, I, I, need, I need to have... I need to have my armor on. I need to have my gear on. You know, otherwise, you know what? Now I'm protected from every, anything this ball is going to do, anything the pitcher is going to throw. And they throw some nasty stuff, and it moves all around. And the reason why I say this, I want to end with, with this, is, you know, everything I said, I, I can't do it on my own. You guys can't do it on, on your own. And uh, we're on different spots in our, in our lives. And, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his strength and of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the wickedness in the heavenly places. It says put on these things. It's his might. It's his gear, guys. If you notice, all the gear I have on, what protects me in the back? Nothing. It's all frontal gear. 
This is all frontal gear. Everything God gives us is frontal gear to face the, face the enemy. It's none of ours. It's all his, 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 uh, it's all his armor, not ours. We, all we have to do is put it on. We put on the belt of truth. God's truth needs to be the center, guys. Let me use this. God's truth needs to be the center of your lives. The breastplate of righteousness. It's not our righteousness, but we put it on Christ. He is the standard that we live by. Our feet fitted for the gospel. Those boots were used for battle back then. And we need to be fitted with the gospel wherever we go. The shield of faith. Our faith is in Christ and in his promises. He is our protector and our provider. The helmet of salvation. The enemy wants to get in your head, guys. And we need to remember you have security and assurance in Christ. The sword of the spirit. God's word is our primary weapon in battle. It equips us for every situation that comes our way. Amen. And lastly, and this is something we skip over, but prayer, pray in the spirit. Prayer is how we all stay in victory, and that's how you keep the armor on. The armor never comes off. When I, after I catch, I got to hit, I got to take it off. But, I, you know, I'm not supposed to take it off God's armor. And, uh, you know, I, I do that a lot, guys, I had to admit. I, I do it all the time. Um, if we were to have victory in our personal lives and our marriages, if we are to be the father, friend, or follower of Christ, we need to be, then you need to put these things into practice in our lives and allow God to finish the work he has started. Um, I hope this encourages you. I mean, Dave was telling me what was going on, and God has been, this is, I'm in a place spiritually where, man, I've been experiencing God. This has been the best spiritual growth of my year, the last year. It's also been the worst part of my year. It's been the toughest part of my whole life. And, and uh, I wish I could share it with you guys, but, but I can't. But uh, I'm so thankful I can get through this with guys in here who, who know who I can share with and who love me, who come along beside me. If I didn't, I, I could be making some bad choices of where am I going to go for comfort and for hope. And I know where to go for comfort and hope, but I need these guys around me to, who's lived life with me, who's poured into me, who continues to pour into me as I walk through this, this journey that God uh, has, has our, our family on. So uh, with that being said, I don't know where you guys are. We're all, we all go through it. We're all going to go through something. And uh, we need each other. We need that Paul. We need that Barnabas. And you need to be pouring into a Timothy because... Uh, you know, you've been through the battles, and uh, the battles are coming for all of us. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men. I thank you for all my friends that showed up and, and know my heart is for you. But Lord, um, I just pray we just continue to give our hearts to you every day, daily. And Life is hard. Situations come up. Things come up. And we can't control but uh, we can lean on you. We can lean on others who are leaning on you. I thank you for Iron Man. I thank you for what they stand for. I thank you for the men here and what they are doing and how they poured into my life and how they're pouring into others. I just pray we just uh, continue to think about that and put on the armor of God so we can ex extinguish the flaming arrows that Satan has to come in our way. pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.